0: And welcome back to Feeling Seen, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. My co-host today, my co-host today is actually, it's like kind of crazy how accomplished my co-host is today. Uh, I feel like it, you know, if you keep your eye on producers, if you keep your eye on the credits to see who's making the things and marshalling the resources for the things um, that end up being the movies that you love. uh, My co-host today, more recently, Uh, From her banner, Stay Gold Features, perhaps you have seen the movies Harriet, or you're one of the weirdos like me who loved Under the Silver Lake. There is Uh also the wonderful Patty Harrison, Ed Helms comedy, Together Together, and very, very recently, Nanny, Nikiatu Jusu, we stand on this podcast. That is through Stay Gold, but I believe before the Stay Gold timeline, there were also movies like The Kids Are Alright, Beasts of No Nation, and a personal favorite of mine, Life partners. Oh my God. Little queer treasure that is. Oh wow. You are a film lover. Daniela Taplin Lundberg. Welcome to the program. Is there anything else the folks need to know about you before we get started? No, you really covered it.
1: I'm like impressed with your depth of knowledge of, of my IMDB page. Very few people (laughs) reference life partners, although it's one that like I'm so proud of like that movie was hard hard to get made and it it's it is it's it holds up it's very good. It
0: absolutely holds up and I actually think like because that was what like is that like 2014? Yeah. Or 15? Something like that. Uh-huh. I would say it holds up even better than it was upon its release because I feel like the conversations around like platonic love stories and friendship as intimate mm-hmm. relationship and the more expansive conversation around what intimacy is and and queer relationships are on screen. I think it actually fits more comfortably in conversations we are more conversant in now in pop culture than we were at the time that it came out. Oh, my God. A hundred percent. Oh, my God. Thank you for like saying that. You're you're so welcome, and we have we have so much ahead of us because we haven't even gotten to the movie that we're digging in here to into here yeah. today, which is another friendship love story. What is the yes. character and the movie that you have brought for us to discuss? Okay, today? so
1: my character is Gina Davis's Thelma in Thelma and Louise, oh. um, Kelly Corey's like classic film, which Ridley Scott directed, which you would not picture him like that's not the first director you think of when right uh, thinking of like a female you know on the run film um but yeah. he did such a beautiful job and i and i watched this film when i was um in high school and it really rocked my world and i mm. think like in looking back really defined my path in life and in, in in my career and um and her character growth in particular was something that i always use as a hallmark and i just think was great great screenwriting as well just talking about the growth of a character over time and and having that be as much of a visual transformation as an internal one so um so yeah that's that's my character mm-hmm.
0: it is it um, is I can't watch Thelma and Louise it's in in, in its entirety because again because it's too wrenching because I know how uh-huh. it, but like so like I'm watching it yesterday I'm like scrubbing through to points to like like it's a movie I know it's a movie I've seen and it was amazing mm-hmm. in that format of jumping the way that I was opening on her as the housewife to Daryl yes. who has to like she like minorly raises her voice to call out for her husband at the beginning of this movie. She's like, Daryl. Yeah. And he's yeah. like, you know, I hate it when you holler like that. You can't holler at me like that. Yeah.
1: Tell me, for
2: God's sake, is he your husband or your father? It's just two days, for God's sake. Don't be a child. Tell him you're going with me. Tell him I'm having a nervous breakdown. I don't care how much weight with Daryl. I already think she's out of your mind. Are you at work?
0: No, I'm calling from the Playboy Mansion.
2: Clear right back. Daryl?
0: Daryl? Honey, better
2: hurry up! Of- God damn it, Thelma! But, Rudolph, Rudolph. Don't holler like that. Haven't I told you I can't stand it when you holler in the morning?
0: I'm sorry, doll. I just didn't want you to be late. And mm-hmm. she goes from that to, like, you jump, like, you end up skipping rocks ahead and you arrive at that point where she has, like, the band T-shirt on and she's holding yeah. up a gun, shooting the gas tank of a truck because a trucker is being a misogynist bastard to her and Louise. Totally. And it's like, oh, totally. my God, we've come
1: so far. Oh, well, my God, it's an incredible transformation. And, I, you know, I talked to H- Callie about this and, like, you know, the first scene is this very JC Penny. She's got, like, the pink bubblegum lipstick she's like Mm -hmm. everything is so put together and it's like it's a little bit fragile and you know oh god you're not sure how much this girl can handle because she's never she's never been (laughs) out of her house she's never been out of her town right and then she like gets in the car she's like
0: i've never been out of town without daryl before
1: i'm again it's so crazy to me and louise convinces her to go on this trip and they've got this amazing car and i just love the scene of her getting in the in the car this convertible and she she brings the whole house. It's like she's got a fishing net and like five suitcases and they're like going for two days. And it's just like it's such an example of someone who hasn't ever lived life. Right. They, they don't know what to bring. They don't know how to be efficient. They don't know how to handle any situation. And she also brings that gun. Right. Which is like the planting of the seed for the whole for the whole film. And um, you're right. It's just like over time. It, I don't want to be a spoiler but the movie's like 25 years old so I think most people
0: have seen it. Yeah, yeah, so, I think you can go for it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm just going to like spoil the thing but the the inciting event of this of, you know, the murder of this guy who tries to to rape Delma um, in in the parking lot, the the first moment she tries to sort of let loose. Um mm-hmm. it's from that moment on where she sort of crumbles and then her partner Luis starts to crumble and mm-hmm. and Delma starts to discover her strength and she like she robs a, a convenience store because they've run out of money uh-huh. and um and she starts to slowly like throw away these sort of artificial artifices of her life and it's just that band t-shirt and the trucker hat she fought, she steals from the trucker and like you know i just and she starts to get tan cuz like it's a convertible yeah. and like there's all this color on her body all of a sudden and i just was like It's so goddamn sexy, and she's oh my god, you know, like right. And I was just like, this is a little bit aspirational, even though she's like
2: on the run, (laughs) (laughs) you know. Boys, don't get mad, okay? But where are we going? Oklahoma City.
1: Jimmy's gonna wire me some money, and then we're gonna Jimmy. You talk to him. Did you tell him? what he say? Is he mad? No, I didn't tell him, and that's what we gotta get straight now. Daryl's been calling mad as a hornet, making all kinds of noise. And when you call him, you
2: gotta not tell him anything about this. You gotta just make sure everything sounds real normal. You know, I called that asshole at 4 o'clock in the morning. He wasn't even home.
0: I don't know what he's got to be mad about. I'm the one who should be mad. This movie is so many... Could be localized in on so many kinds of movies. This movie could be a road trip movie. This movie could be a friendship love story movie. This movie could be a rape revenge movie. This movie could be a good for her movie. This could be like a good for her, like women do crimes for fun kind of movie. And it really like, it is amazing to- watch these characters as they're getting into the crisis deeper and they're getting farther away from who they began as but they feel like they're getting closer to themselves as they're getting yes. closer to like infinite yes. peril and yes. it is like you said it it does feel so like when they're just in the convertible with their hair blowing in the wind and they're both un- inexplicably gorgeous and clearly yeah. like more in their bodies and their feelings than they ever yeah. have been you're like god yeah. what a great day for the girls and then you're like they're I being know. pursued by the entire state of Oklahoma right now right right
1: no it's so crazy and i think of these like individual scenes and some of them are were even like without dialogue there's this one moment where susan sarandon she takes off all the jewelry she has and Mm. she hands it to this this guy who's just like on the side of the road he's like looks like he's 103 years old and she gives him the jewelry and then she takes this hat that he had which is like is so much more valuable to her in that moment because it's like protection from the sun and the exposure and all that stuff. And I was just like the metaphor that like Callie, who was a first time screenwriter, she had never (sighs) written a film in her life.
0: It's, your, your podcast with her on your on your podcast um, is yeah. tremendous, and if you guys mm. want to hear about like the from the original cell of the idea of how Thelma and Louise came to Cali Corey, and then she like just wrote it while also having full time like gig day jobs here in the city of yeah. L A, like and just yeah. picking away picking away at it, like you should absolutely listen to that conversation. Totally,
1: but I just love that like that fever dream came to her in a moment where she was so frustrated with how women were being treated. And she was like a UPI, unit production manager on mm-hmm. like all these like big hairband videos where yeah. all the women were like dressed in like nothing. They were beating, being treated terribly and no one was saying anything, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and Callie was sort of, you know, she was just trying to earn a buck and like, you know, get these these productions made. And this was her sort of form of rebellion, Mm-hmm. And I think, like, when I think about that, it's, like, it's kind of the, the potential glory of, of making movies, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you, that movie, I remember she said when it came out, it was, like, on the cover of Time. And there were, like, all these critics, like, being, mm-hmm. like, don't let your girls see this movie. It's, like, you know, it's going to affect them in such a negative way. And it's a, it's a male hate movie. And none mm-hmm. of that was true. None of that was true. It was no. just, like, a nuanced, complex film with two women in the lead. And I think for me, I was,
0: you know, a teenager in high school. I was going to say, did I, it feel like a rebellion when you saw it? Is that how it hit for you? 100%. And I, okay. and I
1: you know, I was, you know, I saw it the day it came out in, in Westwood. I, I grew up in L.A. <laughs> I walked to Westwood from my, like, all-girls Catholic school. And, like, I dragged some friends because I was the one who always wanted to see movies. And I remember being in this um, theater, like the Crest in Westwood in like the early 90s mm-hmm. and just like getting my popcorn and just like being in for the whole ride. And and to boot, I was just like, this is one of the most well-cast films ever. And huh. and it wasn't like, you know, I mean, even like, you know, Michael Madsen is Jimmy and and Brad Pitt, like no one had seen Brad Pitt really yet. And he no. is like, a huge discovery and And those two, I just fell in love with Gina Davis. And I just was sort of, you know, there are moments when you come out of something feeling so empowered or inspired (laughs) or whatever it is. Maybe it's a concert or it's, you know, you go through a gallery or it's a movie or whatever that is. And that was that moment for me. And I remember coming home. My dad was a film producer. I remember coming home and just like, I was a pretty quiet kid, but like, I just wouldn't stop talking that night at the dinner table. and. You know, I was just like, "You have gotta see this!" Like it was the first time where I felt like so confident in something that I knew was good. Wow! You know, as a kid, you're just like, I really respected my father as a filmmaker, and mm-hmm. I kind of looked up to him. And it was the first time I discovered something before he did, <laughs> and I, I was just like so proud of it. I was like, "I'm going to tell you about something that no one really knows about yet." And and by the next, in the next few weeks, it just became this like c- cultural fire stuff. Uh,
2: uh what happened to your hair? Nothing. Got messed up. Thelma, what's wrong with you? Nothing. Why? Do I seem different?
1: Well now you mention it, yeah, you, you seem like you're crazy or you're on drugs.
2: Well, I'm not on drugs. But I might be crazy. <laughs>
0: identifying with the with Gina's character with Thelma did it feel like if not like on a a murder and crime spree did it feel like when you were watching this that seeing her arc did it feel like something that was accessible to you as someone identifying like you said you weren't very talkative as a kid growing up or did it feel like I didn't know this was an option for me just yet or or was it like no I see how I can get there but like this person's giving me an access point
1: you know, it's funny. It it was literally some moments in the in the film, and and it's like this thing that I that I think about. There's this moment where she's like, first time she has like an orgasm, like the, she she yeah. has like the best sex of her life for the first time ever, and it kind of like opens her up. On one hand, the thing that was really impactful about that scene for me is when when uh, JD, I
0: think, was Brad Pitt's character's name. Mm-hmm. He teaches her how to hold up a, a liquor store. Yeah, the, the famous Ew. with the, the hairdryer walking her through how to commit armed robbery. And I just kind of waltz on in and I say, ladies, gentlemen,
2: let's see who wins the prize for keeping their cool. Simon says, everybody down on the floor. Now, nobody loses their head, then nobody loses their head. Uh, you, sir. Yeah, you do the honors. Take that cash, you put it in that bag right there. You got an amazing story to tell your friends. If not, well, you got a tag on your toe. You decide. Simple as that. Then I just slip on out. And, uh, get the hell out of Dodge, yeah. Mm-hmm. My goodness. You were sure, genuinely, about it. Well, now, I've always believed that done properly, armed robbery doesn't have to be a totally unpleasant experience. Yeah,
1: and. For me, she was like studying it and she was like getting a little bit braver and she was starting to open up and then mm-hmm. she goes and does it. And I'll, I'll never forget how Ridley Scott shot it. He, we see it happening over like the, the video camera footage. Yeah, we like, see we, it we through. See sec- I
0: love that we moment. see it through security camera footage yeah. and from yeah. the perspective of the police. Like they're watching this as cops watching her commit this crime. So totally. we're with her being like, damn she's really putting it out there like she's dropping the hammer on these people but she's got swagger she's got charm and these cops are just like oh my god the women are going insane
2: how'd you i mean what what'd you say well i just walked on in there and i said good morning ladies and gentlemen this is a robbery now if nobody loses their head nobody will lose their head sam said y'all lie down on the floor please right away you too ma'am would you get down not you sir let's see who win a prize for keeping their cool
1: listen it doesn't have to be holding up a liquor store but it's just that thing where it's like i can do this i can do yeah. something that feels really hard and impossible i can just own it and if i own it then i can execute on it really well it for me that was making movies it, yeah you know i was like this kid who you know My dad was, like, not Spielberg. He was, like, a semi-successful, like, independent film producer. It wasn't (laughs) like I was, like, being walked in the door. But I knew I wanted to make movies. The moments that I feel really, like, I'm doing a good job or I'm achieving some sort of success are the moments Mm -hmm. where I, like, take my fear by the balls and I'm just, Mm -hmm. like, just own it. Just go there and do the work (laughs) and keep your head down and, like, pretend that that you belong there and that you are commanding the space. Mm-hmm. And whenever I do that, I'm always grateful because like then everyone sort of believes it too. But meanwhile, mm-hmm. I'm like doubting myself a hundred times a day. You know what I mean? Sure. And so like those, whatever those moments are in your history that you can kind of be touched on, that was for whatever reason, that was, that was mine. It's like mm-hmm. Gina Davis holding up the letter store. <laughs>
0: You know, (laughs) it is. It's so amazing watching the seesaw of their relationship. Like you said, as like first Louise has to step up and protect Thelma. And then when the weight of it starts to become just a bit too much for Louise and it starts to echo trauma from her own past that she doesn't she's not going to confront in this film. Like and then you watch you watch Thelma have to ascend and carry the weight because she knows somebody else can't take it for her. And then by the end for them to be completely eye to eye and holding hands as they make this ultimate decision and for mm. for Thelma to be the one to say like let's keep going like let's not yes. get caught and yes. I I that is one of the that is absolutely the like I almost start crying reflexively whenever I think about Me it so I'm gonna try not to Me right too. now but yeah. like I remember the first time I saw this. Some was t- some age in the 90s. I don't remember when, but it was definitely on VHS. It was definitely at home. Sure. And I saw that, and I remember so well. And, like, any time I see it again, like, the exact look in her eyes and the tone in her voice and the cracking of it when she says, let's keep going, and then that image of them holding hands is one of the most devastating, incredible moments of cinema that has ever been put to screen.
1: I I agree, and yet, like it's triumphant, right? Like yeah. to me, it's like it's not <sighs> the death of these two women. It's like the, they're just not going to compromise their lives anymore. I'm getting mm-hmm. cry. I'm like starting to cry right now too. It's like, and and for me, it's like wh- whoever you are spiritually, or you know, like I, I you know, I, I just sort of felt like you know there were a couple people that asked Callie to change that ending. It was just like too. It was too dark, and I uh, and. It was, was like, amazing no. hearing
0: her talk about that with you being like, and she's like, she's never been a screenwriter before. She's going yeah. into meetings, pitching yeah. her screenplay. And that's the moment where like, that's such a moment of truth for a new creator to be like, yes. so we can make your dream come true if you change right. this thing. And she, in right? talking it back to you, she's like, and that's when I would go, okay, meeting's over. All right, we got to go now. Like, cause it's yes. just, it's, it's, yes. this movie's not happening if that's the way yeah. you think this movie's happening.
1: I know. It was so badass of her. And like in life, whether it's, you know, working in this industry or any industry or there are those crossroads. And I just feel like that was probably a defining moment of her life. She took a huge risk by like sticking to her guns on that thing. And and she like that risk, like yielded such reward for her in her in her life and like in defining who she was as a filmmaker and mm-hmm. so i you know it's another it's another thing i think about all the time it's like that movie wouldn't be that movie if it was a different ending you know um well and
0: as 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 a as a producer is somebody who like is the one who is going to bat for these movies Like, I would imagine you had more than a few challenging conversations about something like Beasts of No Nation. And for when it came out, the kids are all right. Like, if you watch them and Louise now, do you watch that and think like, even what you so much, you know, about the business, does it still feel like as much of an outlier as it seems like it would have been when it came out? And when it it did? it's
1: it's a great question. And it's so funny, because like, I think that the fact that they got that movie made in 1991 or two or whenever it got made mm-hmm. is, a, is a goddamn miracle. And the only reason it happened is because Rid, Ridley Scott decided to, to direct it. Right. Totally. And, and it was, it was such a sort of exemplary piece of writing and, and so unique. And so like all those things, it was just like, it was really, it was really amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that was an outlier. That was a total outlier piece of filmmaking. Um, that was ultimately driven by the value of a like an important male director, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and Gotta I have allies. Can't do without I, allies. Right? And I and I don't like good for him, but like it wouldn't have been made um, if it hadn't have been him, probably, or some male director, yeah. of note like him. Um, I think what I see now is there. We've been doing so much work, particularly I would say in the last ten years, of just like pushing other agendas, pushing other stories, pushing female filmmakers, pushing, um, filmmakers of color. And, and I think it's working. I mean, honestly, Jordan, I, I you yeah, know, tell me,
0: I- is it working? Can you, can you, you've been doing this since like, I think you've been producing since like late nineties, maybe early two thousands. Yeah. Like, is yeah. it working yeah. in 20 years? Okay.
1: So here's my answer. I, I, it's slow and steady, but like I, I, it, I have almost exclusively worked with female directors in like over the last several years. And Mm -hmm. by the way, I, you know, part of the reason I raised my own film fund is that I could like, I could get films um, made that maybe weren't necessarily going to get made in in the studio space. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it was all, it was a whole reason I'm a creative producer first and finally, or not finally, but long ago I was like, if I don't learn how to raise my own cash and structure Mm -hmm. my own financing, I'm just going to have to wait around for these assholes to say no. Right. Totally. And so I, I literally was like, I got to figure out a way to speak to investors, raise money, to get them their money back, make decisions that are smart, but also pushing content that wouldn't otherwise get made. And so yeah. like a movie like Nanny, which we made last year, which won Sundance last year, yeah. uh, you know, I was like, I see this and I see that there's a, a big market for this, but this movie isn't going to get made Amazon ended up buying it, but they, they were never gonna make it, right? Yeah, they, and so, yeah, they,
0: they bought it when it was like, oh, this is going off. It was This is going dance. off it's at great. Sundance.
1: <laughs> That's right. That's right. And I and I just sort of feel like, you know, as as a producer, and I just interviewed actually Christine Bachon a couple oh, weeks amazing. ago. Oh, amazing who is like an iconic producer who's made a hundred movies and just like pushes boundaries. And I, and I interviewed her about boys don't cry, which was like such a bold movie to make in 1994, whenever she made it. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I just realized like, if I'm really want to change hearts and minds, I just have to keep put like keeping my head down and taking risks and taking swings Mm -hmm. and learning like what I think is going to work in the business. Cause it can't just be like, I'm going to tell a story that that isn't being told, I have to find a way to find an audience for it. Right. Because mm-hmm. if I, if I make a movie independently and then no one buys it, then it's like, then the investors lose their money. No one sees the movie anyways. And yeah. like, I can't keep doing what I'm doing. And yeah. so a lot of my strategy is like, all right, there hasn't been a movie about Harriet Tubman mm-hmm. that, that feels like a huge travesty to me. Um, and how do we how do we frame this in a way that feels like the studios can get behind it and yeah. and sell it to a, a large audience in a way that's gonna make them happy and also my, me and my filmmakers happy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's like that's the art of the game, right? It's just yeah. like you gotta entertain, but you gotta change hearts and minds. Or at least that's the art of, of my game a little <laughs>
0: yeah. bit. It's time for a short break, but we will be back in a moment to talk more with Daniela. And then I will have one quick thing before I go about the new Scream. Scream 6 is out and we will check in about that at the very end of the show. So stick around.
2: I hope they've got the bread bowl. Have you seen the bread bowl at this place? Mm -hmm. Good evening. Welcome to Maximum Fun. Have you been here before? It's her first time. Very good. Might I recommend our special? Oh, please. Can I interest you in the Max Fun Drive? I'm told they're cooking up something quite extraordinary this year. I've heard about this. With limited time thank you gifts for new and upgrading members? That's right. (laughs) We'll take it. How would you like your episodes? Uh, Can I get them excellent with new boco on the side? Mm -hmm. Oh, are there live stream events? Absolutely. You know, if you're interested in events, Meetup Day is returning. What? Oh, you're gonna love Meetup Day. It's the best. Okay, let me make sure I have everything. Max Fun Drive 2023 with limited time thank you gifts, live stream events, meetup day, excellent episodes, and of course, new bonus content. Sounds perfect. Great. We'll get it started and it'll be ready in two weeks, March 20th. Oh, can we also get a couple of waters? Of course. Where am I? On Maximum Fun. What do you want? A podcast miniseries about The Prisoner. Whose side are you on? That would be telling, but okay, I'm on my own side. It's one of my favorite ever TV shows. We want a podcast on it. A Prisoner podcast. You won't get it. By hook or by crook, we will. Who are you? I'm Elliot Kalen. Who is number one? Jesse Thorne. But you are John Hodgman. I am not a Prisoner podcaster. I am a free man. (laughs) Are you okay? (laughs) Elliot, are you all right? (laughs) Okay, I'll watch it. All four episodes of Be Potting You are out now.
0: Welcome back to Feeling Scene. I'm here with producer Daniela Taplin Lundberg. Daniello's producer credits include *The Kids Are Alright*, last year's *Nanny*, *Together*, *Together*, and *Harriet*, and that is just to name a few of them. But the character in question today is Gina Davis's Thelma, half of the iconic duo, driving, haha, Thelma and Louise. A theme, a theme that we have come upon here that I that I didn't want to get into further with you is like that notion of like you know, the creative deception that that can be so much a part of selling things in Hollywood because it's, like, and that's not a bad thing. It's what everybody's right. here for. It's what everybody buys into. Right. It's a part of the system. It's right. not somebody doing their right. job wrong. It's someone yes. doing their job right. But like, yes. and I think Thelma and Louise is such a, Thelma and Louise is such a great example of that in a way because I and I feel like it is a perfect example of how sort of contemporary women's pictures so often have to have that Trojan horse element because if you watch the trailer to Thelma and Louise you're like road trip and you don't really understand the nature so much of like the indictment of the patriarchy that's going to happen in this movie and it's a similar thing too with like Jennifer's body was a similar situation where like the, the skewering was so effective that people received it so poorly because the movie was right. The protests Uh around something like Thelma and Louise and the knee-jerk reaction to it were so acute because the movie was right. And you look at Promising Young Woman, where that movie is not at all sold to you as the exact nature of the movie that it is in its totality, but you can't. Because particularly for stories about women who are going to violently rise up against that which opposes them, you have to kind of convince people when they're walking in that it's going to be something else to get them to walk in at all.
1: Oh my God, Jordan, you're like, you're so um, hyper articulate, first of all. And like, I, <laughs> yeah. I really appreciate your ability to like, to articulate exactly the thing that that I try to do all the time. And I'll, <laughs> I'll you. use this example of this movie, Nanny, we use this yeah. the phrase Trojan horse all the time, because in its casing, it's a horror film, it's got this like sort of catchy title, you know, and, and, but really, it's, um, it's about this woman who comes over from West Africa and is trying to live the American dream and is really suffering all the trauma of like that nanny culture. Right. And I think like th- there are, is so much social commentary that is layered into that film, which is, which is why I think it's gotten such a claim. but in its casing, it is like, it's a horror film with yeah. scares and, and effects and all this stuff. And mm-hmm. I think like, If we're smart as as filmmakers, you you got to You got to figure out how to get the audience audiences in. And then if you can impact them and have them leaving the theater or whatever, the television set feeling slightly different about something, then you've you've really done your job. And Mm -hmm. so I think that like that is such a sort of really, really smart um, observation and analysis. And I, I think it's something that we try to when I'm making movies, it's what I try to do all the time. For
0: sure. There was a part of your conversation actually with Callie who you talked a bit in in your conversation about like how in the 30s and 40s there was a a robust economy of women's pictures. Yes. Where they were like movies about like the interior lives of women. And even if the movies weren't necessarily always good, there were these like kind of wonderful opuses to like the feelings of women. And obviously sort of like the heyday in the early years of like a Joan Crawford and a Bette Davis and a Catherine Hepburn and that sort of thing. Totally. Totally. Coming in with Nanny. And then, like, thinking of, like, I think we can loop Thelma and Louise into this conversation, too. I feel like the the best analog I can think of to the old-timey women's pictures is embodied in genre films today, in what you see in something like Ethelma and Louise, which eventually becomes, like, it becomes, like, an action thrill ride vengeance piece. And then, yes. like, in something like like Nanny, you have a women's picture in sort of, yes. like, that classical sense of it. In movies like Hereditary and Midsommar, obviously, both yes. are the titles, but, like, I feel like the women's picture lives in exacerbating the experience of of women through the lens of horror and how like hey guys isn't it weird how one to one this translates and i yes. wanted to hear about like the sort of idea of the women's picture and its evolution from you as a movie maker and obviously a movie enjoyer
1: i mean that is like such a cuz you know i have to say i'm very very new to genre i'm not sure like horror is not my genre uh-huh, but as okay. you say that as you say that it's the first horror film i've ever made But as you say that, I think it's like you are really touching upon something that I think is really tracks, which is like I think all the horror films that I've seen, like this movie, Megan, and you've talked about Midsommar and like. And hereditary, you're right, like the, the central character, are they are women and they are sort of feminine skewing in a mm-hmm. funny way. And, and you know, a lot of those filmmakers are men. But I think that there is something to what you're saying. And I would I would want to like like do a deep dive into that. Like, is that the Trojan horse for women's stories right now? Right. And Where we don't feel, we don't
0: really do melodrama in the sense of the 30s yeah, and 40s, like yeah. that's not quite the cinematic appetite of the populace yeah. now. But there is always an appetite for horror.
1: That's right. That's right. You know, it's so funny. I'm making a movie right now, um, and I'm trying to bring back those great movies, those, those like movies that like. Mike Nichols made and James yeah. L. Brooks made, and like in the in the late seventies and eighties, you know, I was just watching like broadcast news mm-hmm. the other night and like rewatched Ellen that one Hunter. recently because somebody Stop. brought it
0: to the podcast. God, oh, it's on God. fire! Oh, <laughs> I can't. I
1: mean, the like. The like the, the brilliance of Holly Hunter's performance in that movie. And just like, she's so flawed, right? She's got it all together and she's a total basket case. And like, and I just, I was just like, God, why can't we have movies like this anymore that are just about (laughs) like flawed characters that are hilarious and broken and all, all the things. And so, you know, right now we're, I'm doing this movie with, uh, with Michael Keaton and um, another actress that I cannot say yet, but I <laughs> will soon announce it's a really a father daughter piece, but the filmmaker is this amazing woman Hallie Myers Shire, who grew up um in the industry. Her mother was Nancy Myers, and she mm. grew up loving these like these films that we're talking about and I think you know I think that the flaw with like comedies or romantic comedies with women in the lead right now is that they are there doesn't feel like there's any weight given to them, right? Mm-hmm. Like when I was growing up, M- Meryl Streep would would star in these films a- yeah. and Jack Nicholson, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. they were the stars of Heartburn and now it's just a, a relationship comedy slash drama. Mm-hmm. And you don't you don't really see that anymore. And so I, I I have this desire to sort of bring back that genre and really like kind of elevate it in the way that it was when, when I was growing up. And, you know, I think part of the, the thing I'm trying to do as a producer is just like, Bring back the things that I thought were high quality that have yeah. sort of fallen out of favor. You know, like I think like you know Marvel films are great. You know, yeah, I, I've I like heard, them. Like the Flash is going to be fantastic. Like I, I don't doubt it. You know, I went to Spider Man with my whole family. I I, I totally <laughs> get it, but I think that like films as a genre, we we have to like return to a little bit of like the thing that made them great, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I still love going to the theaters. I still believe in that, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I still believe in like making it a special event, you know? Um, so I'm trying to like bring back Amblin films and, and old, like, Michael <laughs> films in my own, in my own way, um, and Trojan horse them into the system.
0: So, like, obvi- obviously, this starts with the screenplay with something like a Thelma and Louise, and, like, you bring in a Ridley Scott, and, you know, that's kind of, there's magic on both sides there. What yeah. are some of the other elements of Thelma and Louise where, it, it, for you, it's, like, perhaps elements that we have lost that you can yes. feel so tangibly in a Thelma and Louise that you're like, this is why, this is yes. the foundational part of why yes. I was like, I'm going to go into the family business.
1: Yes. Okay. Great question. I think the other part of that film that I really, really responded to was, and I use this word all the time in my podcast, but I really do respond to the authenticity of a time and a place. And Mm -hmm. I think so often now you know, because of tax credits or or because, uh, you know, Netflix is set up in New Mexico. The
0: amount of times I lament that nobody shoot, nobody can shoot in L.A. anymore breaks oh my, my God. heart. The the, right? the nostalgia filmed in L.A. kick that I have been on lately to just see the city as a character.
1: 100%. No, I'm shooting this next movie in L.A. You're going to be, oh, I'm going to making heart. this movie for you, Jordan.
0: <laughs> Thank but, you. Um,
1: but I think that there has become this sort of like, Generic backdrop for every high school. They're shot in yeah. the in the same hallway. Maybe this this comedy is shot and the lockers are red, but maybe this one the mm-hmm. lockers are pink. But there's no there's no defining characteristic of, of the places that we're shooting in. Mm-hmm. And I think you know I just listened to this podcast about Polly Platt, who was you know mm-hmm. sort of the muse of Peter Bogdanovich and mm-hmm. um, and worked with James L. Brooks and and really I think was like the sort of and Cameron Crowe and was the sort of secret sauce to why so many of those movies, in terms of endearment and broadcast news and paper moon, why those mm-hmm. movies were so good. And her whole thing was like a, a film, a film is as much about the place as it is about the characters and like, and, mm-hmm. yeah. and the backdrop. And so she would go and she would like scout, all over the country and, like, find the perfect city for whatever the whatever the film was meant to be. And, like, mm-hmm. because there had to be that quality of just, like, again, authenticity. Yeah. And feeling like you're in actually the place that, you, that you're filming in. And, like, you get that a lot with, like, all those movies. And particularly with Thelma and Louise, it's like, you know, when they're driving... And it's, like, they're driving at night, and there's, like, a full moon, and they're oh. dr- driving through Zion, and you're seeing the the mountains, and they're, like, lit. And, and I'm just, like, you can't fake that. Like, you've got to really, like, plan to shoot that during a full moon, mm-hmm. and, like, it's got to be a perfect night with the stars out. And, listen, I'm the first one to admit, like, money is often an issue, for shooting in the places, like you can't wait for that full moon sometimes, you know you can't and if it's like if it's overcast, like that's just the deal <laughs> and and so but like that movie, you know, I don't think it was a hugely big budget, you know, but they they really nailed you know, when you walk into that bar when they first have that drink, that that felt like a real bar oh. with real cowboys and they were drinking real bourbon or whatever it was, you know, yeah. and they're driving through and they're meeting those characters along the way. And like those people just felt like they they inhabited that place so, so authentically. And so that is really the thing that I, you know, again, like you're really hitting upon one of the things I'm really focused on right now. Like we're going to go shoot this, this movie in LA, it's literally a love letter to LA. Hallie Ugh. and I both grew up in Los Angeles. And I'm like, there are some great movies that were shot in LA. No one shoots in LA anymore. That's just, it's no. not a thing. And so that was like another quality of Thelma and Louise that like really just resonated. You know, I, yeah. I sort of think that, that that film is, it's pitch perfect. I think the other thing that I loved about Thelma and Louise is there is such, it's really funny. There's, you know, it's like, it's handling this like very traumatic thing, but there's like such moments of levity. And I think that's like the great movies that work that are about like very serious topics. They always have those moments of like, of up like little moments of like, just allowing like the dial to turn a little bit so you can go back to the serious things. I I think about that all the time in our movies.
0: Well, and I think that's such a, I I know that like, that's something I talk about a lot with my my queer friends in in filmmaking is just um, the deftness of queer folks at turning kind of anything on its head into like something that they can at least joke about and enjoy it. That's not like a, a superpower unique to queer folks, but I think it is yeah. one that is especially honed in marginalized or stepped over communities where you learn to how to find that part on the dial because if yes. not, existence would just be dour. Like, if yes. you couldn't do that at a, right. at a moment's notice, you would just be buried under the weight of the terrible possible so much. And right. so right. I think that there's such a, I think it imbues such a sincerity to something, like to watch gina davis in that moment with like where louise is basically telling her like we need to choose whether we're going to come out of this dead or alive and that means turning ourselves in or keeping on running and you know she just got off the phone with harvey Keitel, the cop and gina just looks at her and goes did he have any good news (laughs) and it was like thank god uh they're charging us with murder
1: yeah they say that we got to figure out if we want to come in dead or alive
2: Oh gosh, did he say anything positive at all?
0: And they just, totally. like, they smile at each other and they get in the car. And that's oh why God. the movie endures. I think you're that's right about exactly, that. That's
1: exactly, exactly right. I mean, I love, there are just a couple moments where she, where Gina Davis calls Daryl. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember that?
0: Daryl. Yes. And he's
1: like, Thelma, how are you?
0: And she hangs up. She's like, hangs he up. knows. He knows. <laughs> he's never been happy to hear from me in his life. He knows.
2: Oh,
1: God. I just, like, love, I love those moments so much. And, and you know, I think they're, they're as memorable as, like, these, like, very, very intense moments or, or mm-hmm. the moments of action or the moments of blowing up the, you know, the trucker's <laughs> the vehicle or whatever it is you know i remember those moments i mean gina davis just
0: tying a knot in her t-shirt is as memorable as anything else in that movie (laughs) because the power of gina davis oh she just was so good she was so good so my um, my my closing thing that I would I wanted to come to is is the the crossover in our streams of uh, I know that your dad was a, a producer on Mean Streets. And yes. one of the characters that we have had brought to the show is the filmmaker Lucky McKee brought Harvey Keitel's character from Mean oh. Streets as the character that made him feel represented. And, oh, my gosh. You know, wow. you growing up watching your dad do this work and perhaps watching him having done it on mean streets and and learning through that. And then, you know, coming to this place where the art that he made is influencing people that have come on this show and now coming here and talking to me about what has motivated you and your work. I just sort of wanted to hear from you about like being a participant and what it sounds like in a self-aware way of that, like circular power of like consumption and creation that fuels... these works of art that make people feel represented and make them feel like they have a port in a storm sometimes.
1: Yes, yes. Well, it's so funny. My dad made, like, these two iconic films before I was born. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that, like, it's this family business thing where you, I grew up listening to these stories, Mm -hmm. and my dad really believed that art and artists are transcendent. And it's the thing that can impact people most. Mm. And I think that, like, even as a child, you know, it really wasn't like I was living, like, this crazy existence. But, like, I had always heard these stories where, like, you know, Bob Dylan and, and Mick Jagger and Bianca were at my parents, like, you know, wedding reception in the backyard of their Laurel Canyon home. And and uh, but, but, but the thing that, like, really resonated for me in the stories of The Last Waltz and Mean Streets... Mm. was just that like it was a time and place these 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 filmmakers had something to say mm-hmm. they needed um someone to like promote and proselytize for them mm-hmm. and i think the idea of being my dad was the person who like launched one of the greatest filmmakers of all time, arguably, right? Yeah. Martin Scorsese's career, mostly because he didn't know what he was doing at the time. I mean, my dad was just like, "Oh, you put your own money in the movies? Like, oh, he, like he didn't know you weren't supposed to do that." But I think like the impact of like launching someone into the stratosphere that has like impacted so many hearts and minds, and I I hate that I keep saying that, but it really it is how I feel. Is to me, like everyone does their own thing, right? Like everyone tries to like impact the world in some way or do their best or, you know, you know, we wake up every morning or at least I try to wake up every morning and be like, all right, how can I, how can I push? How can I help? what mm-hmm. like how can i make the world a better place today and this has been the thing that i've discovered i can do mm-hmm. and so i think for me it's like it's another thing that resonates for me and i i did interview my dad on my on my podcast about the mm-hmm. streets and also the last waltz is just like that's the thing we've chosen to do to like impact humanity or impact the 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 world mm-hmm. in our own small way and um and so I think it was the thing that I just, it was my North star a little bit, like yeah. growing up, it was like, okay, yeah, that's something I can do. And by the way, like kids of doctors, that that's like the thing they're, they're going to do, or, yeah. you know, kids of nonprofit or going to like workers, like that's maybe the thing they're going to do that like continues, or maybe they do something completely different. But, um, but I do think that there, I really have this, like, this, this reverence Mm -hmm. for film history. Yeah. And, and, and like all the people who have come before us that have allowed us to do what we're doing. And I think that that's the thing that helps me stay clear of what I want to be doing. You know, like I, I'm also trying to do TV and I, I, I think that's like really exciting as well but I think mm-hmm. for me I'm really like uh, I'm the product of, of my parents and I really <laughs> do believe in the power of film and so it it's the thing that like gets me jazzed in the morning you know yeah. and I still I still believe in it and, that, and that's my thing you know other people have other things that get them jazzed and get them get them excited about like making impact but but this is my thing. I don't know if that answered your question. But. No,
0: it really does. And um, as somebody who's who's trying to to do the same thing, uh, it means a lot to hear you say that. I, I feel very entirely aligned with you on that. Um, oh,
1: you're so, like brilliant. I'm like, I think you're so great. <laughs>
0: thank, thank you very much for that. And just thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me. and come. Up. This has been such this a wonderful flew. conversation. Oh I've my so God, enjoyed so this. Fun.
1: And um, I'm so psyched to have met you.
0: Thank you again to Daniela Taplin Lundberg. In addition to catching up on her impressive filmography, you can also hear more great movie conversations on Daniela's own podcast, because we've all got one: Hollywood Gold. Listen, it's like the great equalizer now. There's something really fun about the fact that someone who has received a like an award called the Producer of the Decade Award and me do pursue. We do have. One very specific, like, I'm a producer too, but, like, we're both putting out podcast episodes. Like, that's the thing you can see from both of us. And that's very exciting for me. Um, And now that one quick thing before I go, new Scream, the N with a U and an umlaut, new Scream, is out. It's back in the world. Um, My ethos approach to Scream has long been, uh, I just want to see my friends again. And now that we're moving into a new iteration of the franchise where we have new friends, um, I miss my old ones. I miss them a lot. Uh, some in more heartachey ways than others. RAP, You know who you are. I guess I won't spoil what happens in 5 if you haven't seen 5. If you haven't seen 5, you know, certainly don't care about 6. But anyway. Um, but I like my new friends. I like my new friends. In the second half of 5, we really got to kick in... And feel them being characters with each other. That's Mason Gooding, Jasmine Savoy Brown, um, Jenna Ortega, and Melissa Barrera. And so it really sent me into five. The end of five sent me into a really good groove going into six. With the the core four as they will be designated in six. And I had a fun time. I had a fun time. Um, it was... Here's like my, my overall is that... I loved the second half of 5, but I like the entire experience of 6 more than the entire experience of 5. So they're they're both working for me. They're both working for me uh just to different degrees, different levels. I had a I had a really good time. Melissa Barrera really settled in by the end of 5. Her damsel in distress girl wasn't super clicking with me, but then when she got to be the aggressor and she got to be more proactive I thought she really clicked in and I think she's she stays in that mode uh for six so I thought Melissa Barrera was was strong here Jenna Ortega what a star Jenna Ortega the moment um she's just any time with her on screen is really time well spent Mason Gooding is like even more of a himbo in this movie and what a a delight that is, and I, I love him and Jasmine Savoy Brown as twins. It's very cute. Uh, the cold open is great. I uh, really like what they've done with the place. Uh, and Kirby, listen, Kirby fans, I think you're going to be really happy. I'm not going to tell you how to feel about this movie because, you know, there there's some bobs and weaves doing a sixth where, like, you hope it lands for people. I hope it lands for people. I hope they had fun like I did. I, I would like to think that if you've been waiting for Kirby that the, the you will be pleased. I think that's that's my biggest like I think it objectively get nails it is um we can all be thrilled for the return of Kirby, Hayden Panettiere's character, welcome back to Kirby and welcome back to Hayden Panettiere, who took time away from working in the industry to deal with a lot of personal stuff and get herself right again and we wish her the very best we we wish her more continued success. It's so nice to see her again. Like like I said, I just want to see my friends. And in this movie I get to see my friends. And it's a uh, if you liked how much more like strikingly violent Five Felt, this one is even more so. Like this one this one hits even harder. Matt Bettinelli-Olpin and Tyler Gillette, uh they they are directing another sharp cutting hard knocking scream movie so believe me we have not relented in that regard at all and I think uh you know you got some red shirts in there but there's generally like they they there are so many people on that scream six poster you may have noticed I actually think that like I think it I think they the the cycle works pretty well I, I didn't feel belabored by all of those faces on the new poster and you know what guys Dermot Mulroney having a great time I think this guy's having a great time, and we love to see that, too. So, yeah, Scream 6. It looks like it's the the advanced forecasting is that this movie might open to $50 million. And that's rad. Like, that is awesome. And let's just pause for a moment to consider that the sixth installment, the fifth sequel in a horror franchise, is about to open to possibly 50 million dollars. That is nuts. Imagine Nightmare on Elm Street 5 making 50 million dollars opening weekend Friday the 13th part 5 making 50 million dollars on if those if either of those movies opened in a theater I will be pleasantly surprised. Like, oh, you don't say. Uh, but this one is gonna looks like it's gonna clean house, and that's really fun. Um, shouts out to shouts out to franchises doing it right. Uh, Creed also opened to uh, had an ex- wonderful opening weekend, and I think if it hasn't, it's about to surpass the like one hundred million dollar mark. Creed three, and that's like the ninth movie ostensibly in a Rocky franchise, so. Franchises, kicking ass. Franchises that you know, Marvel's maybe having a flop moment <laughs> with its spinoffs, like Ant yeah, Man. I think experienced a uh, precedent-setting drop frame to frame for a Marvel movie. But you know what? Creed three out here kicking ass, and Scream six I think out here about to kick some ass. So get out there, go see, go see the good franchises in the theaters, and that. Oh oh oh, we have a word in from producer Marissa. Nightmare on Elm Street 5 did open in a theater to 8 million dollars. Honestly, pretty good cuz like whatever year of dollars that was. That's not 8 million now. That's well over that's well more than 8 million. Um so maybe not like burning it up in the day when it came out. But, like, if a horror movie opened to whatever adjusted for inflation in those dollars <laughs> Nightmare 5 opened to, that's a strong opening for probably a rated R horror movie, uh, let alone one that's fifth in a franchise. So, shouts out to Nightmare on Elm Street 5. You really held it down. Um, and that, on the note of Nightmare 5, that is our show. You can follow us on Twitter at pod Or you can send us an email at FeelingSeen at MaximumFun.org. If you want to follow me, I'm JorCru on Twitter. That's J-O-R-C-R-U. Our theme music is by Andrew Eakin. The show is produced by Marissa Blacksbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun.